the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following is a conversation between Christina Lewis, founder and president of All Star Code and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving on AM 970 The Answer, WNYM in New York City. My next guest has the uncanny ability to look around the corner and see issues before they become widely disseminated in the press and discussed by the public. One example of that would be the lack of people of color in the tech sector and the consequences of that, something she identified well before most others did. It was that realization that inspired her to start All-Star Code in 2013, providing boys and young men of color the mindset and tools they need to succeed in a technological world. And it's a pleasure to have with us this evening the founder and president of All-Star Code, Christina Lewis. Good evening, Christina, and welcome to The Business of Giving. Uh, Good evening, Denver. Thank you so much for having me here on The Business of Giving. Take us to the moment where the inspiration for All-Star Code was first formed. Where and when did it appear? It was 2011, and I was on a cruise ship. (laughs) (laughs) Best thinking happens on cruise ships. (laughs) Well, this was an unusual cruise. It was billed, it was a conference, a summit, a multi-day summit, uh, billed as Davos for Millennials, Mm -hmm. if you can believe that. And I ended up there very randomly. Um, It was uh, full of tech startup people, tech entrepreneurs. And um, I was a journalist at the time and had gotten invited through friends, and I had never been to a tech conference, and was stunned at how few black and Latino people were um, were participating in startups. The, um, the, this, and it was, there were a thousand people at this conference. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find barely any who were black and Latino who were really um, successfully participating in startups. Uh, and I, as soon as I saw that, I knew that, um, this was a huge problem. Um, as I'd been a reporter at the Wall Street Journal, uh, covering uh, various industries, including real estate, and so I saw that um, I knew that tech was driving um, was driving industry, not just tech itself, but it was driving every industry. And I also knew that this was where innovation was happening, where the jobs were, but where there was so much impact. Yeah, all the um, cool and- stuff. All the cool stuff. It's the, it's the ticket into the 21st century. And that if black and Latino people weren't participating in the startup scene, that they were absent from a sector, even from a conversation mm-hmm. and from a whole societal area that would leave um, these disadvantaged groups even further behind. Oh, and that is the challenge of innovation, that the people who benefit most from innovation are often the most affluent, the yeah. people who are most positioned when who are already ahead of the curve. They are able to catch the wave and get even more ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the uh, so that was the um, so that was the moment. that was a genesis. That was the genesis of realizing that this was a problem. Well, taking then, this off the cruise ship. And looking at it from a macro point of view, give us a Mm -hmm. snapshot of the representation of blacks and Latinos in the tech sector today. Um, 
So only 1% of VC-backed startups have a black or Latino on the founding team. Wow. Um, and many uh, companies will be only 9% black and Latino, many technology companies. Now, if you were to look at engineering or computer science, I'll give you another statistic at the number of engineers, say, at a major company. That number who are black and Latino is far lower, far below their representation in the population. Let's take a statistic about computer science uh, focused on boys, young men of color, which is the focus of All Star Code. Uh, only 4,000 black and Latino boys passed the AP computer science exam last year mm -hmm. in the entire country. So that's in 2018. Of that, um, only 600 roughly were black boys. Uh, in the entire country in 2018, My. only 600 black boys took and passed the AP Computer Science A exam. Now, that exam is essentially, uh, that's the number of boys who are at least involved enough in computer science to have done it in high school. And unfortunately, that matches really closely to who ends up in who ends up in engineering. And that's not to say that you can't learn it in college. Mm -hmm. and, abs and absolutely, there are many paths into it. But 600 is such a tiny it's a number. It's good indicator. It is. It's a good indicator on a, um, you know, on the millions of Black and Latino students who are um, who are in this country. Let's so see. you started All Star Code back in 2013. Mm -hmm. What exactly is the program, and what what do these young men go through? Um, well, All Star Code was founded to increase the pipeline of Blacks and Latinos who are majoring computer science in college and getting jobs in tech. But we do that by focusing on boys of color starting mm -hmm. in high school. That's because there were already a number of programs helping girls, girls who succeed code. in STEM, including Girls Who Code, and I know the founder quite well. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's our lens. With that, we recruit interested students who are in high school uh, or at least interested in the concept of computer science. But then we expose them to, uh, to coding, mm -hmm. also to the industry. Um, and we do that through a six-week summer intensive, but as well as year-round lighter-touch engagement events. Now, our program, our, what we do and why we're successful is that we don't just think about how to code and getting good at coding. We think about the whole suite of holistic skills that um, that students will need if they want to study computer science in college or get a job in tech. That includes um, presentation, knowing how to communicate and speak to people, networking, but knowing how to develop a relationship and introduce yourself. It includes um, uh, understanding how how these companies work and mm -hmm. what the different roles are and career pathways. Uh, so we have an emphasis on mentorship and mm -hmm. networking. We work very closely with a number of major technology companies, including uh, uh, including um, Google, including AT and T, as well as financial companies and other major Fortune 500 companies that. Um, uh, that partner with us to expose the students to to these skills. Yeah. Uh, we're in New York City and Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. um, and uh, have graduated have six hundred students in our scholars 
community. Fantastic. Yeah. Of yeah. those, 85% are majoring or minoring in computer science when they get into college, which 95% of our college scholars yeah, And do. another soft skill, if you can call it that, that you try to impart mm -hmm. is how to face, even celebrate failure. Talk yes. about that. Uh, yes. Celebrating failure is a key part of our methodology for preparing the students for lifelong learning. And I should have said, the single greatest skill that anyone can have to thrive in the 21st century is the ability to continue learning on your own, mm -hmm. taking charge of your own learning, because coding itself, programming might end up being automated mm. by robots. You can't count on one skill to succeed in, you know, for your, the entirety of your 30, 40, and 50 year career today. So um, we do that by teaching the students this concept of celebrating failure. Mm. Now, um, people, um, but our boys, perhaps in particular, they hate making mistakes. In fact, some of them, many of them, and many people in general have been taught that they can't make mistakes. You know, that the second they make a mistake or that they show any weakness, they'll be attacked. Yeah. You know, and the problem is that computer science is incredibly difficult. Yeah, and you will make mistakes. Oh, I would, I would, <laughs> I would think so. I know very yeah. little about coding, mm -hmm. but if you don't want to fail, don't go into coding. That's you true. You can fail all day long. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And that makes, um, and that's part of it. A joke we say is, my program doesn't work, and I have no idea why. Uh, oh, my program works, and I still have no idea why. Um, <laughs> And the importance is continuing to work at it, what's called often called a growth mindset. Yeah. Uh, so by teaching the students that actually if you're making a mistake, it means that you're trying to do something difficult. Mm -hmm. and actually, that's something that you should celebrate. No. And so stick with it. And each time you fail, you are that means that you're doing something really hard, which means you're in a position to learn. Right. Uh, so in the classroom, we'll uh, teach students to when they make a mistake, to yell out, I have failed. Mm -hmm. When something doesn't work that they've been working on, I have failed. And everyone claps mm -hmm. and claps to celebrate that. And they'll even start um, logging it on the walls, um, tracking it. And, of course, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that, of course, we don't all want to be successful. But it's a way of encouraging the students to learn from their failures and also to speak about them. You know, I had um – give well on the mm -hmm. show recently mm -hmm. and they were telling me that they have a slack channel where everybody uh catalogs the mistakes they've made so mm -hmm. if you make a mistake you go right to that slack and you put down i made a mistake doing this and mm -hmm. everybody in the organization does it because if you can normalize mistakes or failure boy that is such a big piece of the pie yes Yes, it is. And it's, this is an, an area that companies, that tech companies have been attuned to for a long time. I think my insight and our insight was that this really crucial shift in priorities was not making its way into black and Latino communities mm -hmm. um, it's at the point where they really needed it. And so we are f allowing for that connection with this, you know, with our partnerships with companies, with this curriculum that we're developing of taking these really um, 
high-level insights that companies like GiveWell, you know, mm. for example, which is a technology company, it's a tech-enabled platform, um, are attuned to, but taking them into spaces, 70% of our students are on free reduced lunch or financial yep. aid. You know, um, 85% are black and Latino. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is information that they they don't know. People in their network don't know because there are so few black and Latino people in tech. Their parents don't know it. Even their teachers don't know it. Um, so we're providing that connection. And what's happened, which is great, is that once – which shows that this isn't about ability. It's about knowledge is that when we at the high school level expose the students to – not all the skills, but to the fact that these skills are important, yeah. they're able to chart their own paths into tech and they're proving so successful. We have um, two students now um, who have accepted full-time offers from major technology companies as software engineers, um, including one at Google. Mm-hmm. These are some of our earliest students because we only have a handful, perhaps five, graduated graduating, um, graduated seniors. Yeah, your first class. Uh, yes, yeah. our first class. And so it shows that the, uh, the impact is really working. Yeah. And In fact, some of them are even turning down jobs. They're getting so many offers, which is great. You know, at the end true. of this summer intensive, they have to do a capstone project. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes. Um, learning by doing um, and project-based learning is is a huge part of our curriculum because that's how it works in, in tech. You have to build something and have a portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, you also uh, – so that's something that you can demonstrate and our students will um, post their projects to, uh, to their GitHub accounts. Uh, second, it's also important this concept of a demo – which is where you build something. You build it with other people, a team where everyone has roles. Collaboration. Uh, collaboration, exactly. And then uh, you actually present it, meaning you show it to everyone and and talk about it. Uh, this is a, a classic practice for engineers, and so we do it in our program at the end. Um, it, some of the projects are um, – there was a video game – that was actually about the stages of grief. Mm. Um, you know, many of our students, being from, uh, you know, from like having a high poverty concentration, also experienced many adverse health challenges. We've had um, two students actually um, already already pass away. Mm. Uh, one from uh, a long term illness, and one unfortunately from gun violence. Wow. Um, but so these um, these issues are much more prevalent. So that is one. Uh, that's one final project that we had. We've also had, um, you know, translators, um, news apps, um, a, a lovely a Twitter app that was uh, a Twitter, um, so the API um, app that was about uh, cleaning up, um, cleaning up garbage in your um, in your community. Uh, an app called Hell that was about forming um, an instant study group. When you're in the libra- library, working on your, um, doing things within your social network, uh, a number of sneaker shopping platforms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be honest, these, this kicks thing, kicks on fire. It's um, it's huge. You're over uh, my head now. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, streetwear. <laughs> streetwear is. Um, but you know, so many of these things you're talking about wear, too selling. are 
real life things. Yes. Uh, as people said, you know, sometimes in Silicon Valley, it's how to order a pizza with one click instead of two. Mm-hmm. This is grief. Mm-hmm. And this yes. is study groups. And these are things that they're experiencing. So the apps really have so much more resonance and meaning than some of the junk that we get. Uh, they do. And the impact on our say our society and civilization yeah. of having a more diverse group of people with this superpower of being able to start and build new technologies will be good for everyone. Yes, it will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the people with who've had these problems are the best ones, best positioned to be able to solve them. They're closest um, to the solution. Exactly. But, you know, wealth uh, wealth inequality is bad for is bad for everyone. You know, the lack of strong um, software in in government, mm-hmm. you know, in schools, in education, in poverty alleviation, these things are challenges for everyone. So that's what really excites me and why we're so committed to growing Ulster Code, that we feel we are um, the um, a leading, if not the leading, um, learn-to-code organization focused on young men of color. I know uh, you believe um, in measuring impact right yes. from the get-go. Yes. How do you go about doing that, and what has your impact been? Uh, well, we... Uh, how do we measure our impact in so many, in many, many different <laughs> ways? There's, there's a framework, there's a logic model um, at, with uh, setting a clear goal for what the program is uh, supposed to do. And as you know, our end result is that um, our students get jobs in technology within a year of graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, so having a clear that's metric. That's nice and simple. Yeah, that's good. It is. Yeah, yeah, really. It is. But then there are a number of intermediary steps. No. So, for example, um, out of our six-week summer intensive program, uh, we measure, well, how much more um, confident do you feel about mm-hmm. majoring in uh, computer science. Uh, ironically, sometimes the number goes down, and this is actually a positive thing. Like sometimes it goes way down because they have a more accurate sense of of what it involves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but overall, for the majority, it goes yeah. it goes yeah. up. Um, that's one thing that we measure uh, in. Uh, most recent years, we believe seventy around seventy percent of our students report um, deciding to work harder in school. Because they've done our summer programs, mm-hmm. these are some of the things that are evidence of our impact. You know, but broadly speaking, our students are persisting in four-year colleges and in computer science at a much higher rate than typical Black and Latino boys of of their income background. Speaking so that's of ce- what we hope. That's yeah. what we look at. Speaking of celebrating failure, you've mm-hmm. addressed one of your failures as a mm-hmm. founder, and that was maybe not paying as much attention to branding yes. as you wished you had. Talk a yes. little bit about that. Tell me what you're doing to brand the organization now. Uh, well, we are um, – uh, yes, I I failed to do branding because it seemed like a waste of money. And who, <laughs> who who cares about branding? I failed to realize that today in the technological world, how to come forward on digital platforms is is a specific expertise that um, that is very expensive, uh, but that that that's very worthwhile. So I did I I backed into it and I spent uh, a lot to re uh, to create branding for the organization that we feel now is is really good, and yeah. we're looking to grow and invest in um, you know in our marketing and communications. Uh, but actually, there's something else that. Um, a lesson that I've learned from starting and growing this organization. You know, we're now um, a roughly uh, an organization with about 
uh, 25, 30 full-time equivalents mm-hmm. um, as far as how, how large we are in two cities. And it started from just an idea uh, when it was only me working on it. And, of course, I was unpaid. Uh, and um, it's the importance of talent and, um, and people, you know, and culture and hiring and how to really build an organization but with with people. And that's something that uh, I definitely had to learn and I'm still learning as as a leader. Yeah. Well, share some thoughts on that. I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing more important than a corporate culture. Mm-hmm. And having a magnet that attracts people and then retains people, what have been some of the things you've done at All Star Code to make it that irresistible workplace? Well, um, one thing that we've that we've always had from the get-go is a very clear mission mm-hmm. and vision for what we're doing. And from the beginning, I was so felt so lucky to have attracted amazing people. And I think that's why, um, in a way, it also became a weakness because I never had – I was always able to attract great people, even from my first job descriptions. I was amazed that they wanted to come work for me. Uh, so that's something that we always did well. Now, on the retention and autonomy, I just wasn't um, – I wasn't attuned to – uh, the difference between driving to a short-term outcome versus what could sometimes hurt your long-term outcomes. You know what was no, what was exactly happening. What you're saying, yeah. yeah, and that the and so the you know so the work environment was um, you know was you know it was more chaotic and it made people less productive and um, you know and not as fun a place to work. Yeah. It, but I will say that still from the beginning, the corporate culture of All Star Code has always had you know, a really high degree of talent, has also a really high level of professionalism, mm-hmm. um, of mission alignment. Everyone, I'm so proud that everyone in our organization really cares, really cares about what they're doing and feels, um, and feels that their work is contributing because it is. We yeah. are a startup. Um, everyone is, you know, is at capacity. Uh, in um, in feeling aligned to uh, to the impact of their work, which is vital for nonprofits, yeah. uh, we do have some. As we've evolved and and grown and matured, we've articulated some elements of our corporate culture. Uh, one is uh, competency, mm-hmm. uh, community, uh, and um, and lifelong learning. Uh, and these, uh, having thought about these things from uh, you know from the get go, I think is something that makes us distinctive. Particularly this uh, this emphasis on learning. We have we encourage professional development, uh, the taking of classes, uh, employees uh, eligible only after a certain time yeah. that um, are encouraged to take classes. Um, are also encouraged to just learn tools, uh, learn learn new things. Just because someone doesn't know. Um, you know, n- know a particular tool or skill set. That doesn't mean that they can't get that job. Uh, they just have to demonstrate that that they're willing and able to learn it. Um, That's a smart so. investment because I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons that most people leave nonprofit organizations and they tell me all the time is that they stopped learning. Mm-hmm. And once you've stopped learning, you move on. Yes. And uh, so that is that is so critical. Uh, yes, a certain, um, especially now as 
donors have become more demanding of nonprofits in a way, ask, expecting nonprofits to behave in ways that are uh, that are similar to how for profits behave. You have to pay people more. You have to hire um, people who are you know who are big thinkers, mm-hmm. and that's that's the challenge. You know, if you ha- when you have someone who just wants to do their job and stick with their job, you know what? They're happy to stay there twenty five yeah, years. Yeah. So I think that the I think you even said that was one of your challenges to be a big thinker and to dare because you're such mm-hmm. a perfectionist. Yes, <laughs> yes. It should be noted you come from a very high achieving family. Your father was Reginald uh, Lewis, who operated the largest. Black-owned business in the United States back in the day, that being TLC Beatrice. And when he passed away, suddenly your mom took over the enterprise. Tell us a little bit about your parents and your upbringing. Mm. Um, yes, thank you. My Both my parents are an inspiration to me, but are um, inspirations in their respective communities. Uh, now, my father, who died uh, in 1993, um, but remains a very... Um, powerful presence in the business community, particularly in the black business community mm-hmm. uh, and in finance as a result of his book called Why Should White Guys Have All, all the, the Fun, fun right. uh, which is uh, a posthumous autobiography uh, that is, um, you know, that, that rem- that's a classic, a classic yeah. of the genre that remains very popular. Um, so uh, when I uh, grew up, I was born, he was a lawyer, but then he bought TLC Beatrice uh, through a, a large acquisition when I was eight and we moved to Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a very um, sort of global lifestyle. My mother is an immigrant from the Philippines, so I'm also an immigrant as well as being a black American. And um, so I went to an international school. Uh, I learned I learned French, and I also learned Spanish. I had friends from all over the world. So I was able to have a very, um, very varied upbringing. Uh, but also there was a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. Uh, my parents were classic strivers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're born, they're technically greatest generation, you know, born during the war, and uh, you know, just were asked to work hard and achieve, go to good schools. They both became lawyers. Then they moved to New York City in 1968. Um, I'm sorry, they, they both moved there in 1968, met there, mm-hmm. decided to get married and kind of took on the city. And so striving, goal-oriented, achievement, you know, grades, uh, the expectations. Um, we did, um, there was a family talent show that my father insisted that uh, that, that we hold and um, with, with myself, but then also all my cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the other kids are just there being normal. Yeah, you know? kids. <laughs> <Being> <laughs> kids. And I choreographed this like elaborate gymnastics performance uh you know it's it's choreographed to the music where my mother is playing just i took these things very seriously uh because that's that's how i was raised so it's a lot of pressure as oh well. yeah yeah well yeah. when your dad hires you as a stockbroker at seven <laughs> yes. and you're visiting factories in thailand and writing reports <laughs> yes. when you're about maybe a year or two older that's yes. kind of a, that's a, a challenging household some really good things come from mm-hmm. it, but also there's there's other things too. As you said, yes. you're you're a recovering striver. Yes, <laughs> yes, I am. I'm a, re- a recovering striver from that, um, you know, from some of that, uh, at some of that pressure. Because the problem with your so focused on um, on just achievement and goals is one, you sometimes may not develop self awareness yeah. um, and time for self exploration and really understanding what you're good at because you have to go and do some experimentation, and uh, so it leads to um, 
a uh, a fear of failure, uh, which leads you to um, to not take risks, mm-hmm. uh, which leads you to um, you know to just a host of uh, you know of, of being stuck or not having pursued your passions, becoming unhappy, and also uh, can cause you to miss out on opportunities because they're um, you know because they. They sort of seem too weird to you, but in fact, would be great opportunities if you were willing to to, to take a chance. Well, I, I find that to be so interesting, you know, because if you're fear of failure, you have celebrating failure, mm-hmm. so you have really yes. learned your lessons. And and looking well, back at your your dad's history, you know, he had a helping hand to get into Harvard Law School, mm-hmm. and probably if he were alive today at that age, the All Star Code would be the 21st century equivalent of that helping hand that he had to get into Harvard Law School. Would that be a fair statement? That is absolutely true. I do see my father. um, The model for All-Star Code was inspired by um, my dad's life and story. Mm -hmm. He was essentially the Jackie Robinson of of Wall Street and of business in the 80s and 90s, the first um, African-American to really... Um, to break into the white boys club of Wall Street and mm-hmm. business and leverage buyouts, masters of the universe, etc. Um, he wanted some of the fun. He did exactly because <laughs> that's that's where the action was. Yeah. That's where the action was, and his start was through um, becoming a lawyer. He mm-hmm. became a corporate lawyer and was one of the first African Americans from a black college because he grew up in segregation in Baltimore to. Uh, to go to Harvard Law School, which recruited him through a special program designed for African Americans. Mm-hmm. And this was back in the 60s. And as I looked around to go back to 2011, as I looked around that conference, what immediately occurred to me was you know, there are so few uh, blacks and Latinos here in this space. This is about more than just income barriers. Yes. Yeah, because even though. There are more well-off black people than this. I mean, a thousand people and virtually none. I said this is about um, sort of a barrier where the gatekeepers themselves aren't um, aren't recruiting uh, aren't recruiting well. And I've seen this before, but it's happened in the law and on Wall Street. Uh, can we sort of could I take a look at this and say do is help create an environment that opens up access, but this time instead of for the law and for Wall Street, do it with computer science and tech. Well, let me close with this, Christina, and what you just said, I think, leads to the final question. And it could be argued that the most significant impact that you've had is helping bring race to the forefront in the tech sector and getting people at least conscious and aware of who is not there, which would certainly include boys and men of color. Are you optimistic that with this realization, things will actually change? Or are you concerned that they're really not going to change all that much after all? Well, Darren Walker, the president of the Ford Foundation, uh, says the enemy is hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yes, I am hopeful that things can change. And in the uh, since 2013, when I founded All Star Code, the conversation about the lack of the lack of racial diversity in tech and in engineering has gone 10x, if not 100x, mm-hmm. because it was there was so little awareness before. And that's only a positive. Is it enough? No. And the numbers, as far as number of blacks and Latinos studying computer science, persisting in it, and then also getting jobs, it's they haven't moved 
um, as much as we need. In fact, in some ways, because so many groups, uh, so many people are going into computer science, the share of blacks and Latinos in computer science in some ways is declining. I hear you. The absolute number of people go up, but the percentage goes down. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So failing, the growth isn't even failing to keep pace Mm -hmm. with um, with the growth from everyone else. Uh, But Still, the change in at least awareness and knowing that this is a problem has been um, has been really positive. Um, it's uh, it's very positive. For instance, what uh, what some people have started to do is to start gathering data by race and gender together. Mm-hmm. So that means that you would look at say women who are white. And as well as men who are white, not just like lump them all together uh, and then say like white people and Asians. And so you can compare Asian men, Asian women, black men, black women, Latino, and be able to look at these things independently as well as together. And that makes a huge difference because you could have a company that's 50 percent male, female. And have a number of Latin, the number of Latinos or African Americans that are, it's proportional to the population. But if all of them are of one gender, mm-hmm. you know, that, 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 that disparity can hide in the numbers. So that's a really positive uh, data move that, that's happening. Um, in, uh, in tech and, and more broadly in the social sciences. And that will help move yeah. it all forward once yes. you get that kind of data. Well, Christina Lewis, the founder and president of All Star Code, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. Tell us about your website and how people can help if they're inspired to do so. All Star Code recently completed a five-year strategic plan that calls for growth in five cities in five years to 5,000 students, mm-hmm. which would be a huge um, growth in the numbers of black and Latinos studying computer science in high school. And uh, we're, we're looking for help. You can go to our website at allstarcode.org, A-L-L-S-T-A-R-C-O-D-E.org, um, to learn more about what we're doing. We're looking for um, uh, education partners in um, across the country as well as uh, companies interested in funding us here in New York and Pittsburgh, but also across the country, uh, as well as just general um, su- uh, general support. Finally, we do have applications open for our summer program. Uh, you can go to our website, again, allstarcode.org, and, um, and figure out how to apply. Well, thanks, Christine. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Denver. I'll be back with more of The Business of Giving. Right after this. The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at Biz of Give on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Business of Giving.